Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, January 10th, 2020, and this is show number 818. We've got a really big show today, so I'm not going to do any faffing about. We're going to kick right in and get started. This week, our guest for Chit Chat Across the Pond is Mike Price, also known as Grumpy in the Podfeet Slack and our live show chat room. During the live Nocilicast, I have to perform a super repetitive set of tasks to add chapter marks as I'm recording the show. If you enjoy the fact that there are chapter marks, you should give partial thanks to Mike because he figured out how to automate the process for me using Keyboard Maestro from KeyboardMaestro.com. The thing that fascinated me was that he didn't know Keyboard Maestro before creating this automation for me. In this conversation on Chit Chat Across the Pond, he explains what Keyboard Maestro is, how he learned it so quickly, and what you can do with it. I asked him to break down each panel of the software for me methodically and explain the interface, because while I've done some super simple automations with Keyboard Maestro, the interface still continues to to confuse me. David Sparks has one of his famous field guides on Keyboard Maestro, which are really mini video tutorials. Mike watched David's field guide to learn the tool, so I've included my affiliate link in the show notes in case you want to learn from the great Max Sparky yourself. Mike is funny, articulate, and a brilliant developer. We used a Google Doc to collaborate on an outline, and Mike added enough detail that I think it could be valuable for you as a reference guide for our discussion, so that's also included in the show notes. It's really long. Mike also promised to provide the Keyboard Maestro macros that he talked about during the show, do notifications, Grumpy's Hindi chapter marks, and possibly the most useful, his XKPassWD macros that allow him to connect Bart's awesome password creation tool. Here's I put So I put a link to a zip file of all of those macros, and do remember to be cautious when downloading macros from the internet, so check them carefully and look at what they do before you enable them. In any case, I had a great time talking to Mike, and I think you guys will enjoy it as well. So check out Chit Chat Across the Pond in your uh, podcatcher of choice, and of course, it's also under Chit Chat Across the Pond Lite in that same podcatcher of choice. Hi, everyone. This is Jill from the North Woods. I thought I would do my own day in the life of my Apple Watch. I do a lot of the things that Allison mentioned in her podcast from October 15th about what she does with her Apple Watch. And of course, I use it to unlock my Mac and my Mac Mini. I initially started tracking my sleep with Sleep Cycle, but for some reason, when I wore the watch at night, it kept me awake. So it actually made my sleep worse to have my watch on. Now, first of all, I travel for a living. And so part of what I do is walk around the towns that I'm in. But one thing I want to make sure is that I don't look like a lost tourist. You get to a new town and potentially has a little bit more crime than you're used to. And so what you don't want to do is pull your phone out and keep looking at the map like you're constantly lost. You want to walk around a town that you're not familiar with like a boss, like you know where you're going, and that helps deter crime when you're in a bigger city or a place that you don't know very well. So what you initially do is you go to your phone and you put in where you want to go on the maps. It works with Google Maps and Apple Maps. And then as you're walking down the street, you'll feel a dozen taps at your wrist at an intersection. That means you should go right. When you're supposed to go left, you will feel three pairs of two taps. It will also warn you when you're getting close to your destination. 
And then if you're getting a little bit lost and maybe you're not exactly sure you're on track or you're wondering how much more time you have to go, you can just look at your watch casually like you're checking your time instead of pulling out your phone and looking at the map. This makes you look very confident and keeps you on track. Plus, it's really nice when you're in a city like New York or Los Angeles where you're looking for major milestones. You can look around and see the scenery while your watch is helping you navigate. There's also some navigations with tones if you're navigating by bike or by car. I have used it while driving, and it's been great because I can sit and talk with my friends and get these navigations without stopping and looking at a map. And it makes me look like I know where I'm going, which I can tell you, I almost never know where I'm going. When I am in a town that I don't know very well, safety becomes a real issue for me. I tend to be on these trips by myself, and it isn't always the safest place to be for a woman by herself in a strange town, in a strange neighborhood. I ended up with this app called Crime in Place. It's an app for the iPhone and the Apple Watch. And what's nice about it on the Apple Watch is it provides this color compass to show you that the left direction has a little bit more crime than the right direction. You can use it as a way of deciding which way should I go for a walk? And when I'm walking in these bigger cities that I don't know where I'm at and I really don't know what the crime is like, this app helps me take a safer walk. This app uses data from local, federal, and state crime statistics, and it warns you when you enter in a high crime area. So as I travel for work, one of the very first things I do is I need my boarding pass. And sure, you can put your boarding pass on your phone, but won't you look cool if you actually have your boarding pass on your watch? And then you can just sit there and wave your wrist over the scanning. So it's nice to just know that my boarding pass is on my wrist and I can do whatever I want with my phone. That means that the boarding pass scanner has to be on your left side. I have been known to switch the wrist that my watch is on so that I can get the boarding pass on the correct side. The next thing that I do is I can even open up my hotel rooms with my watch. A lot of them have a Bluetooth key that you can use and that works with your watch. So when you're walking and maybe you're carrying groceries to the hotel room, you can just click on your wrist and open up the door to the hotel room. That's really handy. The other part of it is, is that I can always call for an Uber or a Lyft or whatever ride app I'm using through my watch itself. So it gives me a little bit of confidence that I don't have to dig out my phone every time I'm trying to call for a ride. I can do so right from my wrist. Another reason that I love my Apple Watch is... I pay for everything with my watch. I rarely pull out my wallet. Again, sometimes I'm just in bigger cities where crime is much more of a reality. So if I can keep my wallet tucked away and just sit there and pay things with my watch, it's much handier. It's nicer. I get the receipts for it. And so I almost pay for everything with it. And one of the neat things is a lot of the vending machines work with Apple Pay. So I can get myself some drinks, some snacks. Even when my friends and I are on a road trip, we can stop off at some of the roadside tourist stations and I can get pop for everyone in my car. I have been hauled out of the car by them saying, come here, bring me your wrist. They just love me for my Apple Watch. When I was in Iceland, I rarely pulled my wallet out at all. I was able to pay with Apple Pay for almost everything. There was a limit. I think it was either 50 or $100. And then I had to actually use a credit card. But for the most part, I used my wrist for paying for everything. I was uh, camping way up in the North Woods, almost at the top of the country. And I went to a McDonald's and I waved my wrist over the scanner 
And then the lady says, well, you have to pay for that. And I said, I just did pay for that. She goes, you did not pay for that. You have to pay for it. And I said, no, 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 look at your register. I did just pay for it. And then she looks down. She goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't see you pull your wallet out. I felt really bad because she had never seen anyone actually pay for something with their Apple Watch. And she didn't know that her register could do that. The other thing that's handy is that I can use just press record and give myself voice memos. A lot of times I'm going for a walk and I see something that I want to do or I see something that reminded me of something. And so I can leave myself voice memos on my watch instead of actually, again, pulling out my phone and writing myself a memo. I will tell you the number one memo I leave for myself is where did I park my car at the airport? I can tell you I get to the airports at three o'clock in the morning on Monday. And by the time I'm home at six o'clock on Friday, I cannot remember where my car is. So all I have to do is listen to my voice memo and it says exactly where my car is. And I'm not walking around the parking lot for almost an hour looking for my car. One of the things that I do for work is I'm a trainer. I'm a software trainer and I have to adhere to a very strict schedule. So one of the things I like to do is I put the entire schedule of the training, the entire agenda on my Outlook calendar. And so I keep getting reminders when I'm supposed to switch subjects. Then what I do is I put a timer in there that will tell me when it's about 10 minutes from when my training segment is nearly done, which means I have to start wrapping things up. This will help me get done with training on time. So I know when it is I'm supposed to start transitioning to the next topic. I also use it when I do public speaking at conferences. I have two reminders, one 20 minutes from the end and one 10 minutes from the end. So it reminds me I have to keep on my schedule and having that tactic timer helps me do that. My Apple Watch also keeps me on top of the meetings I have throughout the day so I can see when I'm supposed to go. Then it always reminds me that the meeting is coming up in 10 or five minutes. So I make sure that I don't miss any meetings. I remember I left my watch at home one day when I was at work and I was just lost the whole day. I thought I'm going to drive home and get my watch because I just can't keep track of my schedule without it. So it's just been even an important thing for my work as well as my home life. I also use my watch to exercise for gym. I have a goal with my trainer that I'm supposed to fill all my rings every day. And so she checks to see that I've done that. And if one of my days I didn't get my standing, which is usually the thing that goes wrong, We talk about what happened, what I can do to prevent it in the future. So for exercise and getting my rings, I absolutely use my watch to do that. I also follow some of my coworkers and their ring exercises, and we try to encourage each other every day to fill our rings. And as we see each other completing rings, completing exercise, we're able to cheer each other on. And so it's been a very nice social way of making sure that we keep up with exercise. Another reason I love my Apple Watch is... The watch is better than the phone for pestering because it's always on and not sitting on a table somewhere where I can just ignore it. So I've been working very hard to get my habits in order. And my Apple Watch has been absolutely crucial in doing the habits that I really want to adopt. And there's a couple of apps that I use that help me with that. The first one is called Streaks. And this one is more of a habit tracker in general. But you can say, Every day I want to do this. Every three days I want to do that. Every week I want to do this thing. And it will pester you to get on top of it to make sure you're doing those things. And I love my Apple Watch as a professional pesterer. It keeps me on target with most things that I'm trying to achieve. An alternate app to that is Habitminder. And it's another good 
professional pesterer. It will send you reminders every morning. It'll go out on your watch and tell you to do this and tell you to do that. And I think that that's been fundamentally helpful to me in getting done the things that I hope to get done. Related to the Streaks app, they have another app by the same company that's called Workout. And it's just like Streaks, but it's primarily, again, workouts. So you can say every day I need to do this, this, and this. Or three times a week, I need to do this exercise. And why I like to use it compared to Streaks for the workout part of it, it'll use all the Apple health data it can when deciding that it's done or you can mark it done manually. So having my Apple Watch pester me to make sure that I'm doing the things that I really want to do in my life, that's been just great for me. I welcome my watch overlord. And of course, one of the most important things for me, because I am a podcast addict, is I use it as a remote for my podcast, which sounds a little silly. But again, when you're going for a walk or you're on a plane and you're listening to podcasts, I don't want to keep pulling my phone out all the time. I have the monstrous plus size phone. So keeping it in its pack where it belongs and probably charging, then I can use my watch to skip ahead, to go forward and listen to a different podcast. So using it as a remote for what I'm listening to is just wonderful. Another thing is hiking. I have a whole hiking watch face and it has all the weather. It has the compass on there and it has all trails, which is the hiking app I like to use for maps. I can make sure that I'm using it to keep on track, but it also has all the weather faces. It has the radar. I'm a bit of a weather geek, so I love looking at the radar on my watch very covertly. I feel pretty safe and confident that when I'm out on a hike, nothing's going to surprise me when it comes to either weather or the trail. There's a day one app for my journal. And so if I want to remember something, if I want to put a voice entry into my journal so I can remember exactly what I was doing, what I was trying to remember. So I love my Apple Watch. In fact, I think it was one of the things that got me into the whole Apple spectrum. I loved my iPad. I thought it was great. But once I had an Apple Watch, I was sold on the whole thing. It has just become such a part of my life. I don't even know what I would do without my watch. It practically runs my entire day. One thing I do to try to keep everything separate that I do with my Apple Watch is to have a single watch face for every use case. I have an Apple Watch face for training, a watch face for traveling, a watch face for hiking, watch face for work, and a watch face for when I'm at home. So I keep all the different uses I have separate by having an independent watch face. The next thing I need to do is learn how to make shortcuts that automatically switch my watch face in different situations. That's next on the list. That's the day in the life of my Apple Watch. I just love the heck out of it. And I hope this helps you too. Wow, I thought I knew everything cool the Apple Watch could do, but I learned a lot from this, Jill. I really should get that Crime and Place app I remember once on a business trip to Texas, I went for a run in the morning near the hotel. And later when I met up with my coworkers, they told me that I'd gone into a super dangerous area. So yeah, I probably needed an app like that. I did want to add a couple of notes to add to Jill's verbal explanation. You heard her refer to using a timer to tell her when to start wrapping things up on a talk. For that, she uses an app called Timer Plus. She also mentioned having the radar map on her watch, and for that, she uses an app called My Radar. Of course, she has links to all of this and all the other apps she mentioned in her written article over on podfeet.com. 
Well, I've managed to make myself a little bit crazy this week, and it's caused by having too good of a monitor, straddling two different operating systems, having just enough computers, and being short by one dongle. Let's start at the beginning with the problem to be solved, shall we? Well, this week for Screencast Online, I decided to do my video tutorial on Bartender 4, which is a brand spanking new version that's made just for Big Sur. When I committed to doing Bartender, I didn't realize that Bartender 4 only worked on Big Sur. I also didn't know that Steve was going to buy me a Pro Display XDR. Believe it or not, these two facts gave me a real technical challenge. So let's start with the requirements for the task. Bartender 4 runs on Big Sur. So the Mac I use must be running Big Sur. That one is non-negotiable. When I record a video tutorial, I need two monitors on whichever Mac I use. The display on which I do the recording has to be down, dumbed down to a very low resolution. If you record a screencast in high resolution, when it's exported to 1080p so it can be viewed on an iPad or a laptop screen, the text and menus will be too small to read, so you have to record at a lower resolution. Now, we used to set the recording display to 1280 by 720 for Screencast Online. Right now, go set your display to that resolution and then try to work on it for a while. It's like sitting in the center seat on an airplane with two American-sized people on either side and you're trying to cut a steak with a spork. Well, about a year ago, we were allowed to go a little bit higher resolution, which was just wonderful. And uh, so to, to maintain the 16 by 9 aspect ratio on a laptop, I'm now allowed to work at 1440 by 810. Now, that isn't a lot higher resolution, but every little pixel feels like a gift. I record using an application called ScreenFlow from Telestream. Uh, yeah, from Telestream. It's also an extremely powerful editor, so I need a secondary screen at high resolution to do that work. I create an iThoughts mind map for every video tutorial I make, and I'm constantly referring to that mind map while I'm recording, so that needs to be on the high-res display as well. Now, I usually keep my checklist for doing screencasting up on the same screen. I'm constantly forgetting what resolution I need to choose, how to save a text preset and screen flow, and I have to remind myself to take the dog's collar off and disable the smart switch that controls our landline. So, all I need is a Mac running Big Sur with two displays, one at low resolution and one at high resolution. My daily driver is a 16-inch 2019 MacBook Pro. I sat down to start working on the tutorial when I realized that Bartender 4 only ran on Big Sur and the 16-inch is still on Catalina. I'm really close to being able to go to uh, Big Sur, but Mima Live, the software I use for doing the live show, isn't quite ready for Big Sur. It's really close, but it's not there yet. I also use a Universal Audio Apollo Solo Thunderbolt interface to attach my XLR mic, a Heil PR40, to the Mac, and the drivers were only just now certified to work on Big Sur. I started working on a diagram, as one does, of the other options available to me, and I sent it to Stephen Getz. He asked whether I could install a virtual machine on Parallels on the 16-inch MacBook Pro and install Big Sur on that virtual machine. Well, that was an interesting idea, and it might be something to try, but I'd have to install all of my tools into this virtual machine, and that would take quite a while, and who knows what my mic interface would do, whether it would even work in a virtual machine. Someone else, and I wish I could remember who, suggested installing macOS Big Sur on an external SSD and booting the 16-inch from that drive. I considered that, though it would still require me to install all of my ancillary software on it, but it did seem to have a higher chance of success than a virtual machine. 
I didn't go down that path, though, because there were problems early on with Big Sur where uh, booting from an external drive caused some odd problems with the internal drive's Catalina installation. Evidently, it stopped the ability to upgrade Catalina even without the external drive attached. I think that problem's been overcome, but it didn't seem worth the risk at that time. So, the 2019 16-inch MacBook Pro was not going to work for this task. Not to worry, though, I also have a 2020 M1 Mac Mini. It can only run Big Sur, so it should be perfect for this task. I use a CalDigit TS3 Plus Thunderbolt dock on my desk, so I only have to move a single Thunderbolt cable from my 16-inch MacBook Pro over to the Mac Mini, and the XDR display shows me the Mac Mini. I do have to plug in my Magic Keyboard and Trackpad to get the Mac Mini to change the pairing from the MacBook Pro to the Mac Mini, but after that, they work fine over Bluetooth. So, the M1 Mac Mini running Big Sur seemed like the perfect solution. But the Mac Mini only has the one, albeit giant, display. Even if I could stand to dumb down the glorious 31.5 inches of that display from 3008 by 1692 down to 1440 by 810, I wouldn't have a second display to use for editing and reading my mind map. As you'll recall from last week, I gave my 27-inch LG 5K monitor to Steve after he gave me the Pro Display XDR. Seemed like a good trade at the time. I knew I wouldn't be able to get that display back from him, but maybe the 27-inch Apple Thunderbolt display he'd swapped out for the LG would work with the M1 Mac Mini as a secondary low-resolution display. I dragged it out of the closet and I added it to my desk full of equipment. This gave me a 16-inch MacBook Pro on a 12 south stand to my right, a 31.5-inch XDR display in front of me, and a 27-inch Apple display diagonally over on the left side of the desk. And I should say it was actually kind of half hanging off of the desk because it wouldn't quite fit. Now I had to figure out if I could plug this 2011 display into the 2020 Mac Mini. The 27-inch Apple display sports Thunderbolt 2 using a mini DisplayPort connector. It was time to go to Dongletown. Well, Steve had been using this monitor plugged into a Belkin Thunderbolt dock, so luckily he had the dongle to go from mini DisplayPort to USB-C, uh, USB Type-C. I plugged the dongle into the Mac Mini, and the 27-inch Apple display didn't light up. I unplugged it from the M1, and I plugged it into the 16-inch MacBook Pro, and it worked just fine. It was time to go read the specs on the M1 Mac Mini to see what was going on. It turns out the M1 Macs were launched, uh, that were launched in late 2020 have some video limitations. The two-port MacBook Air and the two-port 13-inch MacBook Pro from 2020 can only support one display. The two-port Mac Mini can support two displays, but one has to be over Thunderbolt and the other one has to be over HDMI. The Pro Display XDR was already using the Thunderbolt connection, so I needed a dongle to, uh, for the HDMI connector on the Mac Mini. It was time to go to downtown Dongle Town. I really pulled them all out. I dragged out every dongle I could find in the house. I found 13, and would you believe I didn't have a female mini display port to male HDMI dongle? Now, I thought I did find a dongle that would help. I found I had a, a female mini display port to full-size display port adapter. That was good news because I could plug the full-size display port adapter into the CalDigit Thunderbolt dock. That was exciting, but it meant both monitors would be connected to the Mac Mini via that one Thunderbolt cable. And remember, we know from the specs that the M1 Mac Mini can't handle them both on the Thunderbolt side. One has to be Thunderbolt and one has to be HDMI. 
So my brand spanking new M1 Mac Mini with my brand spanking new uh, Pro Display XDR cannot help me with what sounds like a simple task. Whenever I buy a new Mac, I always, always, always keep one Mac back for emergencies. If I have a hardware problem on my primary Mac, I really need a backup Mac. This philosophy has saved my bacon more than once. For that reason, I still have my 2016 15-inch MacBook Pro. The 2016 is a terrific machine, and I stand by my opinion that the 2019 was not much that big of an upgrade from the 2016. Another reason to keep a spare Mac around is for running the new operating system before upgrading my daily driver. I put Big Sur on the 2016 as soon as it was officially out, so it checks that box for running Bartender 4. The relatively small 15-inch display could easily be set to the low-res for recording, and the Pro Display XDR would take care of editing and mind mapping, and it would be glorious to use all of that screen real estate. But that was not to be, because the 2016 cannot drive the Pro Display XDR. Okay, fine. How about the 2016 MacBook Pro with Steve's 27-inch Apple Thunderbolt display as my high-res display? High-res as long as you consider 1080p to be high-res? Well, that solution technically checked all of the boxes. Two displays, one high-res, one low-res, and the Mac would be running Big Sur. But I should have added one more requirement. It had to be ergonomically feasible. I had too darn many computers and monitors on my desk with this solution. I couldn't relegate my 2019 inch, or my 2019 MacBook Pro off my desk while doing the video recording because I still had to do my work for my own shows throughout the week. And I didn't see the logic in moving the giant XDR display off my desk. Was I going to put my precious in the closet? No, I was not. I ended up with the 15-inch MacBook Pro in front of me, partially covering up the XDR display, and plugged into the 27-inch display diagonally to my left, and the 16-inch MacBook Pro still sitting on its standoff to my right. I also still had my keyboard and mouse to the right paired to the 16-inch MacBook Pro because I needed to work on that machine too, and it's impossible to type on it up on its stand. I tried to do some recording with ScreenFlow on the 27-inch to my left with the 15-inch in front of me, and within a half an hour, I had a neck ache from the swiveling and a headache trying to figure out which Mac I was trying to run at any instant in time. It was completely unworkable for me. I was chatting with the Screencast Online editor and good friend J.F. Brissett about this, and he made an interesting suggestion. He asked if I could do the recordings on the 15-inch MacBook Pro in the small screen, but, access, but then access the ScreenFlow document from the M1 over the network, and then uh, like using the drive on the 15-inch, but accessing it from the M1 and using the big display for editing. Now, technically, that could work. But when I record, I tend to do no more than two to three minutes of recording, and then I immediately look at it in ScreenFlow. I'd have to record in ScreenFlow on the MacBook Pro, quit ScreenFlow there, open ScreenFlow on the M1, edit, quit ScreenFlow, and go back to the MacBook Pro. Now, I could try to record a long time on the MacBook instead of these short snippets, but I find that if a mistake is made partway through, often the screen is changed as you go through, and there's no way to backpedal to fix the mistake without undoing a bunch of changes, and that's often really difficult. So this was a possible solution, but definitely not ideal. The tutors that work for Screencast Online have a Slack channel where we can chat about video production issues just amongst ourselves. I pose the question of how the other tutors work if, say, they have just an iMac. How do they manage this problem with just that one screen? Rosemary Orchard of the Automators podcast is very active and helpful in that Slack, and she said she uses a USB-C monitor as the low-resolution display for the recordings. 
Well, guess what? I have a 12-inch 2K USB-C monitor from EOYO sitting in my left-hand drawer. This is not the highest quality display of all time, but it's very high resolution. So I decided to actually do the opposite of Rosemary's solution and do the recording in low res on the 2016 uh, 15-inch MacBook Pro and use the 12-inch 2K display as the high-resolution location for screen flow and iThoughts for the mind map. I was able to put the 27-inch display back in the closet where it belonged, and now I have this tiny, light display that works over a simple USB-C cable and can be shoved back in that drawer when I'm not recording. My desk was much less cluttered. I don't have to turn my head nearly 90 degrees to see the little display like I did with the big display. It's right there. My neck pain is gone, and the recording went perfectly. I had a lot of fun sleuthing out this problem and stretching my brain to explore all kinds of different solutions and cables and specs. While this solution worked well, it's still confusing to work at my desk. Uh, the other day I was uh, running Big Sur on the 15-inch directly in front of me with the 12-inch USB-C display to the left, and I wanted to do other work intermittently, so I hooked the 16-inch MacBook Pro on my right to the XDR display in front of me, and I reached up to the keyboard of the 16-inch on the stand, and uh, then I decided to use the keyboard mouse to my right. It, it just was getting really weird. Uh, I put the 16-inch, the 15-inch, my iPhone and iPads and watch all in Do Not Disturb while I was recording the screencast, but I forgot one computer. A phone, came, a phone call came in, and the M1 Mac Mini started ringing through its dreadful tiny speaker. That was the one thing that I hadn't put in Do Not Disturb while I was doing the screencasting, but I couldn't put it in Do Not Disturb because now it doesn't have a display. The 16-inch MacBook Pro was using the XDR display. I didn't want to yank the Thunderbolt cable out of the 16-inch just to put the M1 into Do Not Disturb, so I did something even more clever. I used screen sharing on the 16-inch to show the M1. That gave me the M1 running Big Sur in a screen sharing window inside Catalina, a Catalina machine, and I'll be darned to tell if I could tell which Mac was going to react if I typed on the keyboard. Hey, I just had an idea. Didn't Terry Austin do a review of an app called Pixel Snap that would let you size a window to a specific dimension? Maybe I could set the M1 Mac Mini screen share window to the 1440 by 80, uh, 810 low resolution I need and then record just that part of the screen on the XDR display from within the 16-inch running Catalina. I may go completely mad working on this. This show is supported by the Uber fans, those people who recognize the value they get out of the podcast and show it financially by pledging a weekly or monthly dollar amount over at podfeed.com slash Patreon. If you're an Uber fan, please consider helping fund the show. Next up, we have a review from longtime contributor Caleb Fong, also known as Geeko Supremo, in our Podfeet Slack. Greetings, fellow Nusla Castaways. Today, I want to tell you about a wonderful mostly Windows tool. It's the Package Manager Chocolatey. In short, a Package Manager is a tool to manage applications in a reproducible way. For example, at my dollar sign day job, I have to manage around 50 Windows desktops. The built-in Windows update is fine for keeping Windows OS current, but what about Firefox, or LibreOffice, or Python, or Screen2GIF? Each of these has their own separate updated mechanism but they're all siloed into individual apps. As the sysadmin, I want one place to keep all of this managed and automated because nobody wants to get hacked because there was that one old version of Chrome just lying around. The whole thing starts with a PowerShell script. 
This script pulls from either a large community repository or a local repository of software. The local repository may be a Git repository, or it can be as simple as a shared folder on a network. But what does that do? Well, for one thing, you can run a single line and install a whole mess of software. But more importantly for a sysadmin, with a single command, I can keep all of that installed software up to date and run it on a schedule. So you don't have to touch the process again, at least until the, something breaks. Now let's talk installation and usage. First, you'll want to go to the chocolatey.org. This is the main project company page. In the main nav, there's an install now button. This gives you the lowdown on installation and the links for other learning and training materials. The installation script works on every version of Windows, going all the way back to Windows 7. Using either the installed PowerShell or command interface, now that script is installed, let's get cracking on some usage examples. As PowerShell is highly informed and designed to be familiar to Unix users, the syntax for commands will feel very similar to things you hear on programming by stealth or taming the terminal. A chocolatey command starts with the choco command word, followed by a subcommand, of which there are several, and an argument to that subcommand to make it useful. For example, choco search python. This will return a list of packages that include python in the name or description. In most cases, this is sufficient to determine which package you want. But if you need to know a little more about that package, you can do choco info package name. This will fetch the specific details about the named package. I would go on, but the latest version of the docs are, are an exceptional resource. Plus, most of the applications you'd want are using the name you'd expect. Should this CLI interface prove insufficient, you can also go to the web interface of the community repository. Now that you know what you want, installation is Choco install package name. Or if you want to do a set of packages, Choco install package one, package two, package three, so on and so forth. Change your mind about that bit of software? Yank it out with Choco uninstall package name. Now you want a weekly scheduled update? Put Choco upgrade all dash y into a script or command argument, and Chocolatey will work its magic from the task scheduler. There is a caveat impetor to all this. Choco needs to be run with administrator rights on Windows. On Mac and Linux, it may be a little different. I don't have a recent enough Mac to try this out, unfortunately. There are several editions of Chocolatey. The community, free and open source, and there's also business and pro. Using the base open source code, with add-on features that are good for business and things like SLAs. The community edition is generally more than enough for just about anyone. If you're feeling generous, or perhaps you find that you are getting good personal slash developer value out of the project, there is also an individual pro plan that you can get. With a little effort and some basic scripting skills, and I do mean basic, because even I can write a script that can accomplish the tasks I need. You can also have the joy of a terminal command to manage your, the essential and basic features of your Windows computer. 
That was great, Caleb. I really like it when we get alternative perspectives on tools that aren't just all Apple tools. I know that's the only thing I know, so that's all I'm ever going to teach you about. So when people have stuff for Android or Windows, I think it's really good to expand our minds about what other cool stuff is out there. And of course, you know I love a good open source tool. Thanks again, Caleb. That was great. Dumb. 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 Dumb questions. Dumb questions. Dumb questions. How do I? What is? How come I always have to? It's time for Dumb Question Corner. Recently, my good friend Kelly Guimont, also known as Verso on Twitter, asked me a question I couldn't immediately answer. She asked me whether there was a way through accessibility on iOS to answer a phone call on an iPhone without using your hands. This began a journey of discovery. I found several ways to accomplish this, and the methods range from really dumb to useful. I may have found the perfect solution, but if you know of a better way than the methods I found, I would love to hear about it. Kelly was asking for a friend who has temporary mobility issues, but I didn't want to stop there. I wanted to think bigger for those with permanent mobility issues, like the Mac quad, Darren Darren Carr, who is a quadriplegic. I asked him straight away how he answers the phone, thinking he would know the answer, and he said he hollers, Can someone answer my phone, please? Obviously, that's not the high-tech solution we seek. Independence is what it's all about. I'm going to walk through the different solutions I found and the challenges with each one. The first thing I tried was simply yelling, Hey, S-Lady, answer the phone, while it was ringing. It turns out S-Lady simply doesn't engage when an iPhone is ringing, so that didn't work. I tried to think of whether it was maybe a security angle for why S-Lady wouldn't be allowed to answer, but I couldn't come up with one. Now, I figured if that had worked, Kelly would have tried it, of course, but I had to give it a spin first to see if it did work, because, I mean, that seems obvious, right? Just ask us lady to do it, but she did not want to play. All right, solution two. The iPhone can be set to automatically answer calls. If you navigate to settings, accessibility, touch, call audio routing, auto answer calls, it's buried real deep, you'll see the option to toggle this feature on and also to set the duration of time to wait until the call is answered. The first thing I saw wrong with this is uh, it doesn't let you ignore calls. However, if the duration is set long enough to let you determine whether you want to answer, saying, hey, ask lady, ignore, will hang up the phone. I have a lot of Apple devices around, so at any moment an iPad or HomePod might take over control, but they banded together when I said to ignore the call and they all obeyed my request. The duration time can be lengthened to more than 30 seconds. I got tired of tapping the plus one button to uh, add more seconds to it after 30 seconds. I don't know how high it goes, but I think this would be workable to find a limit that's long enough to let you tell S-Lady to ignore the call, but not so long that the other person would get bored and hang up before auto answer kicks in. The other thing I would want if I was answering hands-free would be the ability to hang up. I tested asking S-Lady to hang up uh, for me after auto answer had kicked in, and to my surprise, it worked. That meant that S-Lady was allowed to listen when I was on a call, but not when I was uh, waiting to answer a call. So I don't know that it's a security reason why I couldn't uh, answer the phone with with S-Lady. Anyway, I really assumed that in the middle of a phone call, she shouldn't be allowed to listen for her trigger phrase, but she definitely was. Within the call audio routing section, you also have three options for how to hear the audio when the call connects. Automatic, Bluetooth headset, and speaker. 
Automatic required holding the phone to my ear, but setting it to speaker allowed me to continue to be hands-free. You also have the option of setting up auto-answer on an iPad. I tested setting up the iPad to auto-answer and it worked. But when I tried to tell s to hang up on the iPad, the HomePod MIDI sitting next to it, if next to the iPad, answered with, this HomePod is not on a call, Podfeet. Well, that didn't happen with the iPhone, which was also sitting next to the, the HomePod. So if you can't get your iPad away from your HomePod, you'd be better using auto-answer with your iPhone. All right, option two. Speaking of HomePod, and especially HomePod Mini, it does make a rather delightful speakerphone for your iPhone. I often use the iOS control center to hand over a call from my HomePod Mini, or to my HomePod Mini, I should say, when I want to work at my desk while on a call. It doesn't work well as a speaker for video calls, so the delay is too long to work well in that scenario, but as a speakerphone for the phone, it's great. So that got me wondering whether HomePod Mini, or even a big girl HomePod, would be a good solution to hands-free calls if you don't want your phone to auto-answer. With a HomePod set up for personal requests, when the phone rings, you can simply say, Hey, yes, lady, answer the phone, and the HomePod will answer the phone. I thought this was a great solution until I tried to hang up. If you say, Hey, yes, lady, hang up to the HomePod, she answers with, I can't help you with that when you're on a call. <laughs> really? You can hang up when I'm on the phone with S Lady, but you can't hang up when you're the one who answered it with the HomePod. My only idea of what you could do then if you can't hang up by yourself is you could reenact that scene from Friends when Ross and his girlfriend Julie kept saying, you hang up. No, you hang up. You know, Eventually, the person on your call is going to get really tired of you and they will hang up. Now, I know it's not practical to have a HomePod in every room of your house or workplace to answer the phone hands-free, but... At 100 bucks, the HomePod Mini is getting more affordable and might be useful for that. It might be a good answer for the more infrequent need for hands-free answering, you know, like when you're in the kitchen and you want to answer the phone while your hands are all goopy. Option three. I had an idea of another solution, and like the last one, it only partially worked at first, but then I think I got the whole thing to work. With iOS 13, Apple gave us a nifty new accessibility control or tool called Voice Control. With voice control enabled, one option is to have numbers overlaid next to every control on the screen. To interact with the application you're using, you simply call out the numbers and it's as though you have tapped that control. I keep planning on doing a full walkthrough of voice control because it's so cool and I, and I will do that, but it's beyond our scope right now. I wondered whether voice control might be a way to answer the phone without using my hands. To enable voice control to play with it yourself, Navigate to Settings, Accessibility, Voice Control, and toggle it on. There's a lot of settings for voice control, but the one I enabled was Item Numbers under Overlay. As I said, I need to learn all of voice control so I can tell you about the rest of it at a later date. With Item Numbers visible, I called my iPhone from another phone, and when I saw the incoming call, a 3 came up next to the green pickup button. I simply said 3, and the call was answered. I was delighted that it worked so easily. Unfortunately, when you answer the phone, for some dumb reason, voice control stops listening, so you don't get a number next to the hang-up button. However, guess what does work? Hey, yes, lady, hang up still works. Now, I think in my experimentation, I may have found the perfect solution for Darren. When we were texting about how he answers the phone, he told me why he doesn't use voice control and has to ask a human to answer the phone for him. Here's what he wrote. 
I can answer with voice control and the number overlay on, but it goes to the speaker for your ear and not the speakerphone, so not at all useful when you physically cannot hold the phone to your ear. Also, I found that once you do answer call in that way, all voice control actions are disabled so you are unable to put it over to speakerphone by voice. I say I have the solution for Darren, and it comes from something I told you about in a previous solution. Remember I explained that when you turn on auto answer calls, you can choose to have the call answered via the speaker on the phone? It turns out that even if you turn off auto answer, that call audio routing setting to tell it to go to the speaker stays enabled. As a result, when I use voice control to answer the phone with the number overlay, the call goes to the speaker, not the internal speaker on the phone. I cannot wait until Darren hears about this. With all of this experimenting, I did get myself into a funny bind. At one point where, even though I had disabled auto answer on my phone, my darn HomePod mini kept answering. I reset the HomePod. I unplugged it. I plugged it back in. I restarted my iPhone. I could not get the HomePod to stop answering. At that point, I enlisted Pat Dangler and Lori Gill to help me, but we couldn't figure it out. It was only after about an hour or so of faffing about that I figured out what was going on. Remember I explained I have too much stuff on my desk? A week ago or a week or so earlier, I had enabled auto answer on my iPad Pro during my experiments and the iPad Pro was sitting in front of the HomePod mini on my desk. So I only thought the HomePod mini was answering. I was actually, it was actually being answered by the, the iPad Pro, which was sitting in front of it. And it sounded like the HomePod mini was answering it. Like I said, I may have too much tech on my desk right now. The bottom line is that I enjoyed the heck out of learning so much about the effective tools that are available on iOS for hands-free phone calls. But it sure would have been easier if Apple just allowed S-Lady to be engaged when the phone was ringing. Well, I had a lot of fun doing the show this week, but I got to tell you, we're going to have to wind things up. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions, like the uh, like the question that uh, Kelly gave me. That was so much fun answering that. I mean, she didn't cage it as a dumb question, but it sure sounded like a dumb question at first. Anyway, you can send dumb questions, comments, and suggestions to me by emailing me at allison at podfeet.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. You want to become an Uber fan? Go to podfeet.com slash Patreon and make a contribution. If you'd rather do a one-time uh, contribution, podfeet.com slash PayPal. We take all kinds of money here. Anyway, if you want to join in the conversation and, and uh, talk to me and talk to Steve, Steve is super active here, go to podfeet.com slash Facebook. Or if you don't like Facebook, we've got podfeet.com slash Slack, where Bart hangs out. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.